Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a warm April day in the year 786 on the Roman Empire calendar. That's uh, 786 years since the founding of Rome. But we know it today as A.D. 33. Well, you've just had a day like no other in jolly old Jerusalem. You got up early that morning and shuffled through the narrow streets towards Shlomo's Bakery to get your family their daily supp uh, supply of bread. But on the way, you passed by a house where there was a lot of noise and commotion going on. You could hear people praising God and speaking in all kinds of languages. Some you recognize, some you don't. Then this guy comes rushing out of the house and sees you, and he's got you in his sights for something. You think he wants to steal your bag of bread, but instead he comes to you and tells you the mighty works of God, which have been happening in Jerusalem and Galilee. You've heard the talk going around these past several weeks about people who were dead being alive again, and, and, and so, this, so is this Jesus who has also gotten a lot of attention. But all that seems to have died down for a little while or for the last week or so. Now what's going on? Is this guy speaking to you? Is he drunk or something? You laugh at him as if he's out of his mind. But some other guy giving a speech in that house is saying, these people aren't drunk. It's only 9 a.m. So you draw closer and listen. You hear more about this Jesus of Nazareth. You even hear that David spoke about him in the days of old. The Holy One who was promised is here. He is both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Me, you think? <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with that. I was away on business that day. I only heard about it. But with many more words, this man you're listening to bears witness about Jesus and urges you, save yourself from this crooked generation. You don't know why, but you respond. Yes. And these guys baptize you and a whole bunch of other people who are there. Next thing you know, you're eating and breaking bread with them and devoting yourself to their teaching. Then you realize, man, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I've got to get back home and tell the wife and kids about this. What will they think? They'll think I'm crazy or drunk like I thought these people were. But if I just tell them what I heard, they've got to know. And so it happens. Your family looks upon you with bewilderment, but then your wife says something which bewilders you. You never thought you'd ever hear her say, let's gather some things from our house, take them down to Uncle Mordecai's pawn shop and give the money to these men. Surely they can use it to glorify God. Yes, you cry inside because you can finally get rid of that cabinet full of Syrophoenician gods and goddess knickknacks that she's been spending your paycheck on these last 10 years. Besides, you're going to need more room in your little house to have people over because you're going to be breaking bread with them and studying the Hebrew scriptures together. And more and more will come to your house every day and praise God. What a day it's been, huh? 
Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Like I spun a uh, once upon a time feel to our text today from Acts. All I've tried to do is highlight the fact that I've never experienced anything like that. Never experienced anything about what Luke writes about in Acts. My guess is you haven't either. Because if you had, you'd have been there. And that's not possible. So all I've tried to do is bring us into the story. To go back in time, so to speak, because we shouldn't assume that these conditions we hear about in Acts go on into the church's future. I mean, I doubt that there are 3,000 people a year added to the number of believers in this entire state of Oregon. What we have in Acts is a snapshot of the very early church in Jerusalem. But it's more than just that. We can still participate in the vibrant life of worship and this avalanche of generosity to the poor and the unity these people who came before us had. A problem with this text, though, at least for us 21st century Christians, is it seems too good to be true because it lacks any problems. You have to guess and fill in the blanks to find anything less than ideal. Apparently, not everyone in Jerusalem had come to faith in Jesus, as Luke point out, <clears throat> points out in uh, verse 43, when he speaks of every soul in the city, including those not yet converted. That's kind of a strange uh, sentence construct, isn't it? Every soul except the ones who weren't. <laughs> it's like saying all of them, but except these few. It, and yet the Lord was adding to the church's number every day those who were being saved. There's also, as you can hear, uh, needy people in Jerusalem. And their needs seem to be met almost immediately as the believers sell their stuff and give to the poor. Now, we may have a hard time relating to this. It almost seems as like it's not the real world. Our real world is ongoing poverty, which, which there seems to be no real solution for. <clears throat> Apathy and hard-heartedness towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, even from our own people. A baptism here, a baptism there, more lost day, day by day than added, in this land anyways. Individually, we have our own real-world battles against sin that wound us. We nurse these wounds from other sins committed against us and our struggle to forgive as we have been forgiven. It seems our world bears no resemblance to A.D. 33, Jerusalem, and those early, vibrant days of the church. But as beautiful and too good to be true as it is, as the scene that Luke describes... Well, he shows us the early church did face real-world problems then as it does now. There is hostility if you keep reading into chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested and treated very badly for continuing to spread this so-called myth about Jesus rising from the dead and doing other miraculous things. Keep reading into chapter 5 and you'll hear about scandal. Ananias and Sapphira, I, I preached on, them, on those two before. They wanted to see their name on a big wall plaque telling the church people how generous they were. 
Kind of like that old Little House on the Prairie episode, you know, where some people wanted a bell on the church, but they'll only give the money if, they, if their names can be on the bell. <laughs> it just creates a huge riff in the church. It turns into a big scandal. Well, Ananias and Sapphira pretend to make a big donation to the poor, but they lied ultimately to the Holy Spirit. They lied and died. Moving on to chapter 6, we hear about a bunch of Greek widows complaining that they were being discriminated against. The problems of the church go on and on. And then you have Paul writing letters to these early churches and regarding more of these problems. The world of those first believers and followers of Jesus was every bit as real as ours. But for people then and now who find themselves in this real world, Luke proclaims that life comes from the very real and risen Savior, Jesus. The church learned to face real problems of the real world with a real and living Savior. Because He lives, we live too. In Him and Him in us. Our Good Shepherd is leading us to life every day. Eternal life. And you know you hear that phrase, over and over again in your church life. Eternal life doesn't eventually begin on that future day when you die. It's already begun from the moment God found you or joined you in faith to His Son, Jesus. The Good Shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death to where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as you heard in the psalm. It's not that the early church had no problems. It's that they had a real Savior and could not help but show, but live out their faith, sometimes to their death on account of Jesus. But live they still do, and so will we. The church, our church today has problems from within and from the outside, things we can control and things we can't. But what better time to live the love of Christ the same God of mercy and compassion and grace, the same risen Savior, the same Holy Spirit, are still, He's still with us, leading us through this real world. Read, hear, mark, and inwardly digest these words with joy and amazement. It might seem too good to be true or that it's not part of the real world. Just remember this. A little bit from Acts that we heard today is not our entire story. Other par parts of the writings of the apostles and the writings of Moses and the prophets testify to sin's ongoing presence and annoyance and to the church's ongoing need for a real and risen Savior. We weren't there that day. More were added to the church. But we have the same Savior who was there. And He added us to those people. And he has more people to add. He saves us from this crooked generation. And man, is it ever crooked. While leading you and me and all believers through this sin-wounded life, the Good Shepherd creates among you the very life with which he is leading you and me. And we will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.